0: You are now listening to The Soul & Wonder Podcast, Episode 34, Fulfilled with Dr. Anna Youssef. Welcome to The Soul & Wonder Podcast, where the conduits of the body, depths of the mind, and atlas of the soul are explored with devotion. Through cultural exchange, Christopher and Sarah and their guests will deliver sacred wisdom from around the globe, uncovering the hidden gems of conscious living and holistic healing all to empower you on your journey of self-discovery. And now, here are your hosts,
1: Christopher and Sarah.
2: Welcome to the Soul & Wonder Podcast. We are your hosts, Sarah and Christopher.
0: Hello, everybody.
2: Happy to have you here, as usual. So before we dive into this episode with our lovely interview with Dr. Anna Youssef, I would like to remind you, if you like our show, Give us a like on iTunes or share it with your family and friends. If you want to stay connected with Soul and Wonder, be sure to look us up on Facebook and Instagram at Soul and Wonder Inc. We like to keep up with you too. So send us a message, give us a chat, say hello. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Yes, we always love hearing your comments, questions, concerns, whatever it is, send us a message and. We will get back to you as soon as we possibly can.
2: Absolutely. And this episode is one of our favorites because it's all about fulfillment. This is something that people are often chasing. And we got to talk to a wonderful um, board-certified psychiatrist, Dr. Anna Youssef, who actually has a private practice in New York City, and after completing programs at Stanford University, Yale Medical School, and NYU Psychiatric Residency Training Program, she went on to study Kabbalah. She learned Buddhist meditation, and she trained under South American shamans and Indian gurus. She's helped over 1,000 people live happier, more meaningful lives, and she's the author of one of my favorite resources, the book Fulfilled, How the Science of Spirituality Can Help You Live a Happier, More Meaningful Life. And we love this topic, especially because we offer fulfillment life coaching.
0: We love it!
2: (laughs) Through Soul and Wonder. Yes, this is... So important, because what I find is that so many people chase happiness, they look for external things to make them feel happy, that they often don't find that happiness is actually a state of being that is innately within us. And fulfillment is about, as Anna says, connecting with your authentic selves, going through your soul corrections, being a part of something greater than oneself, and so much more. So... We want to encourage you, if you're feeling like you're living life a little bit unfulfilled, if you're feeling like something's just missing, you're stuck in this hamster wheel, you're going round and round and round, and it's as if you're just kind of letting the days pass you by, then we want to encourage you to set up a free session with me through our Life Coaching Service tab. You can just go to our website, www.soulandwonder.com, click on -on one-on-one, find Fulfillment Life Coaching, and right there you can schedule an unlock my True Potential Now coaching session with me for free to talk about what's going on in your life. What are your personal development goals? What do you feel is missing? And what do you wish to attain or do or become? So with that said, we're going to give you this lovely interview with Dr. Youssef so that she can talk a little bit more about her book, but also her own journey with personal development and fulfillment. And we get into a lot of juicy topics with intuition, the split between science and spirituality in the world of Western medicine, and just those big aha moments of our lives. And Chris and I get a little personal as well, talking about our own journey. So without further ado, let's roll the tapes.
0: All righty.
2: Welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Dr. Anna Yousum. Good to have you on the show. Thank you guys so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm super excited for this because I absolutely adore your book, Fulfilled, How the Science of Spirituality Can Help You Live a Happier, More Meaningful Life because I'm a fulfillment life coach and do a lot of emotional intelligence and just personal development in general. And so reading your book, it just felt like home to me to see the exercises you were doing and the explanations you were giving. It was a wonderful read.
1: Well, thank you so much, and that's music to my heart. I'm so glad that it resonated, and I hope that some of the exercises will help you, you know, with your own patience, too. So that's wonderful. Well, thank you. I'll definitely
2: reference it. It'll, it'll for sure be on my resource list that I give all of my clients. Great. Great. So let's start with this, and this is kind of a big one. But what would you say the definition of fulfillment is, and why are so many people lacking it?
1: Right. So this is at the heart of the book. And, you know, I I define fulfillment as a, excuse me, three-tier process or a three-tier, you know, basically way of living your life. One is living authentically. Two is understanding and living in accordance with your soul corrections. And three is connecting to part of something greater. And why for people is fulfillment so elusive? I think it's usually a problem with one of these three areas. Difficulty with authenticity, because so many of us live lives where oftentimes we're pleasing others, we're living for others, and we never really bother to check in with ourselves and our own souls to understand who we are and what it is that we need to be doing in this world. Or that we really haven't figured out what our soul corrections are and haven't been able to really live in accordance with those. And I'll talk about the idea of soul correction, you know, later in the interview as well. Or that we feel alone and disconnected because we don't feel connected or a part of something greater. And so those are reasons why people may not feel fulfillment in their own lives.
0: I really would love to touch on the piece that you had mentioned about pleasing others. And I'm really happy that you mentioned that because I feel that, you know, as we grow up as children, we're almost programmed in a sense to take on everybody's beliefs and values and all of this stuff from other people. And it comes to the point where then we are trying to do everything for others and we fall out of this routine, this self care routine of living for ourselves and and living in the moment for ourselves. And I think this could be really detrimental to our self growth. So I'm really happy that you you mentioned that.
2: and it's like, you know, everything you think or believe to be true was told to you by someone else and it's about finding what really resonates with you on a deeper core level. I think that can be scary for some because it means dismantling a lot of those limiting beliefs we already have and that brings us into new
1: territory. Absolutely right. And you know, and some people can hear this and say, well, I mean, but aren't we supposed to be of service to others? And aren't we supposed to, in a way, live for others in so many ways? And isn't it selfish to want to live for ourselves? And it's interesting because to think of it on one way, it could sound like that. But actually, from another standpoint, if you know who you really are, and are living authentically and are able to tap into the deepest needs of your own soul, usually that will lead you down a path where that's the way in which you can make your greatest contribution to others as well. It's hard to be living a life of service to others or helping others or being a good partner to others or even a good parent or friend if on some level we're disconnected from our own essence and living our lives really as people pleasers. You know, people pleasing, you know, I talk about, the idea of addiction, and people-pleasing is actually one form of addiction. We don't even realize that we do it, but we can become addicted to the process, and as with many addictions, the more of it that we do, the emptier we feel. Mm,
0: wow. Absolutely. Well, and the thing is, too, and I can understand the people-pleasing aspect because I think a lot of us want to avoid conflict in relationships, right? So instead of getting into a battle or a conflict, if you know that's going to um, ensue from you maybe speaking up or speaking your truth, you'd rather just stay back and just say, okay, well, I'm just going to say what they want so we don't have to get into
1: this, right? Right, exactly, and that's so often the case, especially with people who are conflict avoidant, and especially in relationships with loved ones, where the last thing that you want is to constantly have to, you know, explain yourself. Or if your loved one or the person with whom you have conflict is someone who's very set in their ways, and where it's difficult for them to actually step outside their own point of view and be empathic of another's point of view, sometimes it seems easier to just give in and be. People- pleasing and then go, you know, tell them what they want to hear and then go do your own thing. Sometimes in a way, people find that authenticity means not necessarily having to explain yourself, but basically kind of throwing some people a bone and then going and doing your own thing. It's very interesting and often a not a straightforward path as to how people start and are able to identify with and live in accordance with authenticity.
0: Well, it's it's funny because honestly, you know, throughout most of my life, I, I lived like that. And, you know, it's now, now that I'm 30, approaching 31 years of age, that I've learned over the past few years, as I've been really digging deep and doing a lot of self and personal development, that you know Um, what, it's time for me to step up and speak my truth and really show the world who I am as a person and not hold back. And that's taken a lot to learn that. And I'm still going through that process um, because I was that person who wanted to avoid conflict and just say, you know what, I'm just going to go along with what this person's saying for now so I don't have to deal with it. Or
2: do what that person wants you to do instead of exactly your own desires.
1: Absolutely, you know, and Chris, that takes so much courage to do. And it's interesting because often it's fear that holds us back from being able to own our truth. But Marianne Williamson, who is a speaker and educator, and she works with A Course in Miracles, has a fascinating quote about this. She says that our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's our light and not our darkness that most frightens us. So why do we, you know, not fully own our truth and speak up? It's not often because we fear rejection. It's actually because of the responsibility we'd have to take for our lives if we were truly to be our whole selves and share all our light with others. And so, I think your example is a beautiful example of nicely that.
2: Sure. It comes with so much responsibility to fully grow into your true potential and earn that success and maintain it and I think also it's a fear that people have that they know once they do harness that power that means their life is going to change tremendously certain relationships may fall away certain behavior patterns or habits might need to be reformed or at least questioned and it can sometimes leave people feeling like they're going through this huge transformation too soon. And I think that staying comfortable and complacent avoids that entire, you know, leaping off the cliff into the unknown.
1: Exactly, exactly. There's a chapter in my book on harnessing One's own personal power and about the steps necessary for that and those steps to do precisely what you're describing include, first of all, relinquishing victim mentality, realizing that we're not victims of circumstances or our childhoods or an unjust world or difficult people that really our life is our own and always has been. Not to say that people haven't been through pain and haven't been through difficult circumstances that could have been due to others. But it's more the mentality itself. The victim mentality could be among the most disempowering mentalities. And victim mentality enables us to blame others and not take full responsibility. So really the first step in harnessing personal power is relinquishing that.
2: And it's so ironic, actually, because I believe that those moments that we might define as something that has victimized us tend to be the best catalyst for evolution. It's that moment where we can finally grow and we're so pushed out of our comfort zone because it's typically something external that's that appears to have happened to us. And we're finally able to just be ripped from that that foundation we're used to and tested. And that's our ultimate chance to become the person we really want to be by using that trauma or tragedy or difficult scenario, you know, to grow. And that's something I speak about a lot, considering um, my past with sexual assault and things of that sort. And that victim mentality, I've seen it swallow people up and drag them to the abyss, you know, and I've also seen how it can. Once you overcome that, you're just so empowered and ready to use what happened to you to help others, at least.
1: Right, right, and it's such an important point in that whatever it is that eventually or initially brought you into, whether it be therapy or into your dark night of the soul or a difficult place, whether that be a trauma or a difficult circumstances or a failure or you know the death of a loved one. That could be the initial point of inquiry, but usually that's really an invitation into a life of growth and transformation and self-discovery. That had that never happened, you never would have started down that path. Which is why what I see in my practices very rarely is the reason that people come to therapy initially, they're like the reason that they actually end up staying for you know a long time. They come in to deal with. One difficult thing, but in the process, they start looking at their life anew and changing so many elements of their consciousness and their personality that they end up leaving a different person for a whole different reason than they ever came.
2: Absolutely, it's incredible, such a interesting journey. We're all on with this personal development. so you'd mentioned um the dark night of the soul, and I know that in your book you talk about you refer to your own dark night of the soul while you were in Iguazu Falls, Argentina, correct
1: exactly so.
2: This, this I feel, is a profound life-altering realization that many of our listeners could learn from. So I'd love to hear about that. And, of course, feel free to give as detailed a backstory as you'd like to set the scene for our listeners who haven't read your book.
1: Sure, sure yes. Yeah. So my own dark night of the soul happens in the midst of my traditional training as a doctor. You know, I'd gone to all the schools to learn, you know, what I needed to do from a medical standpoint to heal people. I went to Stanford University, Yale Medical School. I was doing my psychiatry residency at NYU here in New York City, doing, you know, everything that I thought I needed to be doing to become a healer. And then a number of factors happened in my life, like all the structures that I had so delicately and deliberately built up around me started just crumbling. First, a relationship like this man that I had been dating, I realized he would never be emotionally available to me like right, I had hoped. And so it was this heartbreak, and that was very painful. And at the same time, and academically, things just were not going well. And for the first time in my life, I started really feeling like a failure, like things in my professional life. Personally, professionally, everything was crumbling, and here I was with with purported healing tools under my belt and thinking, okay, well, yeah, I'm going through a difficult time, but I have all these tools, and I started applying these tools of healing, but I found myself going deeper and deeper into the darkness, and I'm like, you know, something's amiss here. Here I am, supposed to heal other people with these tools, but I can't even heal myself. Something's really missing. And that's when I started searching. I'm like, well, you know, I better figure this out because this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. I at least have to figure out how to heal myself. So that's when I started on this journey of looking at other forms of healing outside of Western medicine. And I found many forms of healing in a lot of Eastern traditions, but also in a lot of spiritual traditions, both secular spiritual and more religious, spiritual, and I spent time in ashrams in India, um, learning from the gurus there. I started working with Shaman in South Africa, and then South America, learning their healing tools. I went to Thailand to learn Buddhist meditation, and then I went to Israel, and then later here in New York City, to learn about the principles of Kabbalah, and how they apply to healing. And in the midst of this, this journey, I started seeing the world anew and getting a whole different perception of how the world operated and certain universal spiritual principles that I actually was never taught in medical school. And in the midst of all that, my own darkness started to lift. And so I'm like, okay, I'm on to something. This is working. And as I came back and started my own practice, I started integrating what I'd learned as a Western medically trained doctor with some of the spiritual principles I learned in my inquiry, and that became the focus of the book Fulfill that you read.
2: Wow, <laughs> you've had quite the life journey. I mean, you've gathered so much inspiration and you know knowledge and wisdom from your path, and it takes so much courage. Like you'd mentioned earlier to Chris, you know, realigning yourself with your true self and you know, teaching yourself all of those things through travel and everything of that sort. And
0: travel is such a great tool for people to explore their inner caverns and really figure out who they are as a person. I mean, travel has been uh, just an amazing growth tool for both Sarah and I.
1: I think that's so beautiful. And it's, I couldn't agree more because, you know, we live in this one world that's our society and our community and then we go to these whole other worlds in different countries and realize wow people live according to such different values and they have in many ways so much less maybe from a material standpoint than we have here but so much more from a spiritual standpoint than we have here and it's just so eye-opening and really inspiring to see that difference in it really forces you to reevaluate how much credence we give to the value of materialism in our life versus spirituality in our life.
0: Yeah. And I think when we strip that, those material things away, everything else opens up, right? So your your whole entire world opens up and you're able to explore all of these different things you weren't able to before, because you may have been blinded by a lot of the materials and, and the toys and, and so on.
1: Precisely, precisely, you know, and, you know, we talked uh, briefly before about addictions and There's many different psychological addictions that we have. I mean, aside from, you know, the drug and alcohol addictions and the behavioral addictions that people so commonly associate with the word addiction. But the psychological addictions we have are addictions to materialism, to the toys, to money, to power, to status. These are all essentially addictions to ego and ways of using ego to fill our inner voids. And you're exactly right that when we strip that, when we're able to one by one dismantle who we are and see who are we underneath all of the accoutrements of success, status, and power that we define ourselves by, then we get to really our soul. And it's really a dichotomy in many ways, the ego or the soul. It's not to say that you're supposed to go and live a completely ascetic life and give up all your material possessions. Not at all. But... The point at which materialism becomes problematic is when we move into addiction territory, where you start to use it to fill your voids, and where the more of it that you have, the more empty you feel.
2: Mm.
0: Very, very good.
2: I like that a lot. And, you know, I think almost everyone can relate to that. You know, we've all had our run-ins with some kind of addiction, whether it's like you have said, with you know, a substance or behavior, things of that sort. And it can be challenging to even accept that it's there to begin with because then that means admitting that there's quite possibly an emptiness within you you're trying to fill it with or replace it with.
0: Well, and I think a lot of us, when we hear the word addiction, we don't often associate it with Uh, material goods or we're talking about behaviors and things that we're talking more about maybe drug addictions and things like that and that's often what people hear or food addictions they don't think about addictions in the sense that we're talking about TV, Facebook, I'm glad that you mentioned that
1: Yeah exactly you know and and in our society which is so materially driven by tv and facebook and the iphone and work and achievement and accomplishment and you know it's so easy for those things To become the root of addiction, how often do people escape from themselves and their own feelings by checking Facebook 18 million times a day or, you know, being on their iPhone when they're around the people that they care about? These are all little escapes that we use. And it's not to say we need to get these things out of our life completely, not at all, but it's really about realizing the role that they serve in your life and especially if we are using them as escapes.
2: Yes, absolutely. That's something that Chris and I have done a lot of work on um, with within ourselves since we met each other is just sitting with the silence and sitting with what we're feeling and allowing things to come to the surface without masking it or pushing it underneath back into the shadow, you know, where it's going to unconsciously control your decisions and behaviors. And it's it's such a... It's, it's a crucial process, I think, that we need to continuously evaluate and um, you know, involve ourselves in.
0: Well, and to have these conversations as well, and I know both of us, what we try to do, of course we still have some a few shows that we like to decompress and watch, um, but we try to make it a point uh, like we did last night. To go outside and just listen to the cicadas, listen to the nature and just drink some tea and talk about our day or talk about our feelings, talk about whatever is on our minds and really digging deep into that and opening that, you know, having a really good line of communication is so important
1: absolutely absolutely and you too touched on a few really important things you know one of them being connecting to nature i think that that for many people is their form of spirituality meaning that that's their way of connecting to something greater than themselves sometimes people think spirituality has to do more with religion or belief in a god and indeed for some people that is the case But for a lot of people, their spirituality comes from a connection to a shared global purpose, Mm -hmm. to mother nature, to, you know, being able to witness the interconnectedness and aspire to connect more to others when things like an eclipse happen, like just the other day, you know, to be able to really connect to something greater, which also could be a set of positive humanistic values like trust and love and perseverance. So I think that. That's hugely important. And then you also mentioned the importance of just sitting with yourself and your feelings as things bubble up. I can't emphasize how important that is because what we're often doing is trying to run away from those things that bubble up. And so often I see people who really just don't like to be alone because the things that bubble up are scary and they need to be busy and they need to constantly be running and checking email and and there's it's not that there's anything inherently wrong with those behaviors, but it's really it's serving a defensive function because we're afraid of in a way connecting with whatever it is that we may have unconsciously pushed away or disavowed, mm-hmm. you know, And it's like you mentioned, it's those things that if we don't get a handle on them and welcome them into our lives and start to really give them language and give them some understanding, they come back. And, you know, what we resist persists, they come back and can wreak havoc on our lives in whole other ways as these shadow sides. And they can become patterns in relationships and in other aspects of our lives over which we feel limited control.
2: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And so here's a solution. How about, to challenge people or our listeners to go out in nature, right? So you can either go take a hike, put your phone away, put all the electronics away, or you can go run a cabin for a weekend out in the woods or in the forest or wherever you connect best and sit with yourself. And so basically you're getting the nature component, so you have the spirituality of it, and then you're getting more into the personal development. By default, you're going to be going through your inner workings and really finding out, who you are at the core. And it may not happen in a weekend, but you'll make a very good uh, head start.
1: Exactly, exactly. I think that's the most beautiful thing. And it's really all these ways of reconnecting with yourself, which involves taking time for, you know, aloneness, taking time for connecting with nature, getting away from everything else, and really starting to listen to that quiet inner voice that only becomes apparent once the screaming of thoughts and emotions could be temporarily silenced. And that is the deepest part of yourself. That's your intuition. That's your soul. That's the divine spark within. And it's only in the quiet that that voice becomes heard
2: beautifully said. You know, one of the things that I um, find inspirational about you is that you've really managed to bridge the gap between science and spirituality, and I'm wondering why do you think there's such a split between science and spirituality in the world of Western medicine?
1: Yeah, you know, and it's a question I've wondered for a while myself, because Obviously, spirituality is very powerful and has been shown in many scientific studies to help people heal from emotional, physical, psychological, and, you know, actually basically a number of illnesses. But the currency of science is really the language of Western medicine, and science is by its nature observable subject to experimentation, repeatable, reproducible, something that you can observe with your five senses, empirical. Now, spirituality by its nature is often the exact opposite. It's very personal and subjective and imminent and sometimes transcendent and something that people experience in the privacy of their own mind and in their own kind of inner world. And that's why there's this fundamental incompatibility. But more and more now, people are realizing, doctors are realizing the power of spirituality and are starting to design studies which start to measure things like having spiritual beliefs and having a spiritual community and more like ideas about transcendence and the afterlife and and how that really starts to impact people's physical healing. So more and more, they're becoming a bridge, but there's still more work to be done.
2: Do you think that some doctors may may be believers already of the spiritual component, but are hesitant to? Um... I guess, publicize that notion for fear of being discredited or anything of that sort?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, in my profession, psychiatry, one of the founding fathers of my profession, Sigmund Freud, um, was a diehard atheist and very well-known as such. And he believed that any belief in religion or spirituality was akin to what he called infantile neuroses. So basically, like a baby looking for a bottle, you know, like we are the babies who are crying because life is so difficult. And we look for this bottle or God or spirituality or whatever it is that we define as spirituality as a way to suit us. But really, as he saw it, it's a neuroses. It's not really there. God doesn't exist. And we create in our minds this idea of, you know, this father in the sky or which is essentially like the bottle that you give a baby. It's something that soothes us, but it's of our own creation. So that's how Sigmund Freud saw it. And those ideas really have percolated many years later into my profession and why so many people, you know, so many psychiatrists don't believe. It's actually interesting that in the field of medicine, it's psychiatrists and psychologists that often have the most people who don't believe in God. It's very, you know, it's of of all the medical specialties.
2: That's so interesting. That's
1: very interesting. I
2: I would love to speak to a psychologist or psychiatrist who's of the opposite, you know, I guess, belief or way of viewing this. And I'd love to just pick their brain and see, you know, their reasonings for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. and But thank goodness, you know, now... um, Many people are coming around and recognizing the power of spirituality, and I feel very fortunate, you know, to have written my book in this age because um, two former presidents of the American Psychiatric Association, which is the governing body of psychiatrists in our nation, have endorsed the book and have stood behind the ideas. And I wonder if this ever could have happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So it's really, you know, Top, top psychiatrists in our country saying that these ideas have credence which is such a powerful thing I, and also I think reflective of the paradigm shift that we're um, in the midst of
2: absolutely we
0: certainly earn one that's for sure <laughs>
2: this progression is it's that's, it makes me hopeful for sure in your book you mentioned you know the importance of intuition. What role yes. do you believe intuition plays in your work with clients and how do you think we can all benefit from tapping into our own intuition?
1: Yeah and I think it's such a great question and it's interesting too because, Um, Just the other day, I was talking to a group about intuition, and someone raises their hand, what is intuition? You know, people use that word all the time, but what is that? And the way that I define it is what I had said a little bit earlier about it being that still quiet voice of your soul that can only be heard when the screaming of thoughts and emotions can temporarily be silenced or quieted. And when you can tap into your intuition you can have greater clarity about the most important questions in your life that rationally and emotionally it's difficult to get. In a way, you can think of your intuition as a sum total of rationality, emotion, but also something greater. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the question of what is intuition, I think it's the voice of the soul, but then what is the soul? And the best, you know, answer that I heard to that question and how I define the soul is as it's this twofold thing within us. One is it's the part of us that is our uniqueness. That is the unique way in which our talents and abilities and skills and interests can be manifest in this world for the service of the greater good. The other part of our soul is is the part that connects us to everybody and everything it's you know when people say we're one unified soul this is the part that they're talking about it's the way in which we're actually all connected to each other and where the separation between us really is an illusion and so in a way the soul encapsulates these two parts both our uniqueness and our unity and interconnectedness with all of humanity and so in a way When you tap into your intuition, you connect to that soul and you get a sense of your higher purpose and also of the way in which you're connected to everybody else. The operating at the soul level enables you to have greater empathy for the other people in your life than does any other kind of uh, functioning, really.
2: I like that very eloquently put. And, you know, someone asked me a question before. What, the difference, what is the difference between intuition and instinct? And I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I um, have a chapter in which I try to address this very question based on Daniel Kahneman's book. He's the behavioral economist who won the Nobel Prize, and he wrote this brilliant book, Thinking Fast and Slow. And, you know, instinct really is a biological response. It's our biological response that we have cultivated over time in order to respond fast in times when we need to survive. So uh, like a baseball comes flying at us, we put up our hand. That's instinct. Like uh, we, you know, an animal might smell a predator, they run away. That's instinct. It's in a way, it's really driven in many ways by the part of the brain called the amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain or the most primitive part of the brain where um, our survival mechanisms are located. So, you know, people also, you know, instinct, we can be disconnected from our instinct because it can override it with our reason and with the mind. It's important to be connected to your instinct, which is a it's your primal, primitive part, but also an important part of, you know, being grounded in this world of surviving and, you know, kind of being connected to your appetites. Intuition, in contrast, is connected to something greater than oneself, a connection to your soul, and which is your inherent uniqueness or the divine spark within you and the part that connects you to everybody and everything.
2: And it's something, too, that grows, you know, your ability to be aware of your intuition and the ways in which you connect to it. It's unique for so many different people, but it definitely amplifies as you embark on that conscious journey to connect with the intuition. And it's almost like a skill that you can practice and open up to.
1: Exactly. Exactly gift of intuition and these are people who in our society can be seen as psychics or intuitives or people who others can go to to seek guidance because they can connect to the upper world and a lot of shaman have this precise ability but whether you were born with these abilities or not the capacity for intuition can be cultivated and it's really you're tapping in and asking the question of what it's my greatest good in this particular situation. And when you say greatest good, it's the greatest good of all involved, not just yourself. And, you know, when you want guidance, you can also often ask and pray, you know, in this particular situation, please give me guidance as to what is in the greatest good of all involved. And that could be whether you are in relationship with a person, should you continue that relationship, whether you should take a job, whether you should have a certain kind of meeting, you can tap in and ask for intuitive guidance within yourself, or some people see it as asking God or praying, but it's really the same thing. That guidance exists within you and outside of you in the so-called upper worlds.
2: Yes, I love it. I love it. I love working deeper with intuition. I love watching others come into their own and connecting on that profound level it's just such a wonderful experience
0: very magical
1: yeah so much magic exactly exactly
2: and I think that you know taste of magic like we, as adults we we've we've kind of run away from that word magic or magical and I think there's a healthy dose of magic that we need in our lives to keep ourselves childlike and in wonder of every passing moment because as soon as you shy away from though that that magic things become dull and they become kind of just redundant
0: precisely why we named our company soul in wonder
1: (laughs) (laughs) i love the name of your company that's so So beautiful. And I completely agree. And, you know, the more you become aware of the magic in life, the more of it you begin to see. And in my book, I talk about it through the lens of synchronicity. You know, synchronicity is a term that Carl Jung, a Swiss psychologist, uh, created to describe those coincidences in our life that have particular meaning to us. And it's like when you think about someone and they call you right away. Or you haven't thought about someone in years and they come into your mind, but then you bump into them on the street the next day. And is that random coincidence? Or is that actually something quite meaningful that's indicative of there being this greater guiding force that enables you to tap in in some way? Synchronicity really, for many people, is that magic. And the more you connect to your soul, the more you begin to see that magic both within yourself and outside of yourself.
0: So glad you mentioned that because Sarah and I talk about that all the time. Like we put together all of these things and we, we have these conversations about synchronicity and the role it has played in our lives, especially uh, for those that know the background to our story and how we came together and how we met. And ever since we met, all of the things that have happened and come into place. I mean, it, it is, I mean, it's mind blowing.
2: <laughs> well, and you know, even let's, you know, play devil's advocate here for a second. It's like, I don't know, even if that synchronicity didn't exist, let's say it was sheer coincidence every single moment that we ever labeled as synchronistic. What it doesn't harm us in any way to still allow ourselves to be attracted to the concept of synchronicity and the magic moments in life. You know, so I think it's it's funny because some people reject it out of the sheer fact that they think that they could potentially be wrong. But even if they were, you still lived a life full of magic
1: and happiness. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And what you're pointing to there is this idea of Pascal's wager. So, Blaise Pascal was this 17th century mathematician who had this so called wager about belief in something greater or belief in God. He said that if you believe in you're right, you gain all this magic, you gain the world essentially. But if you believe in you're wrong and there is no God or nothing greater, what do you really lose? You're no better off than when you started, you really lose nothing. <laughs> so from a risk standpoint, it actually pays to believe because the possibility of greater gain is so big and the possibility of loss, well, you really lose nothing.
2: It's so true. Good point. It's so true. You know, I feel like we could talk to you forever, um, but for the sake of keeping this interview nice and concise... As a parting gift to our listeners, what's one piece of advice you could give them if they're feeling a little unfulfilled and are ready to embark on their self-discovery journey?
1: Oh, that's beautiful. So um, I would tell people to start to question and better understand their shadow side. And I'll give you some tools as to how to do that. Um, The shadow side is that part of us that we often push away or disavow because we feel that it's unlovable and not okay and not acceptable. For some people, that shadow side could be their anger or their aggression. For other people, it could be their neediness or their you know dependency needs. And it's something that often as children, we were taught it's not okay. Like it's not okay for girls to be angry or for boys to be dependent. And so we start to, over the course of life, unconsciously push away those parts of us and don't really accept it as a part of ourselves. But then what ends up happening? The parts that we push away, we end up projecting onto others. We don't see those qualities in ourselves. We see it in others. For instance, if we have disavowed our own dependency needs, we're going to get really, really annoyed when we see those precise dependency needs in others, we could, for instance, start seeing other people as being too needy, or whenever anybody starts being dependent on us, we want to push them away. That's not okay. How are they allowed to have needs and we're not? You know, um, and it's also, it's an interesting concept also that um, Carl Jung basically wrote about the shadow side, that Unless you can start integrating your shadow into your being and start loving your shadow as every other part of you, you can never really integrate your darkness. And it's only by integrating your darkness that you can really own your greatest light. It's by being able to assimilate your dependency needs that you can really be fully independent. And it's only by starting to integrate your anger and aggression into your personality that you can own your greatest light in terms of the totality of your being. And so how do you get at this? You can ask yourself the question, what are the things in others that most annoy me? Usually the things that most annoy you about others are precisely an indicator of your own shadow. So being able to identify and then start to own and reintegrate your own shadow is a first step in starting this process to greater authenticity and ultimately greater fulfillment.
2: Yes, I'm so happy you dove into the shadow work because that's one of, one of our chapters of the book we're currently writing is called "Getting Cozy with the Shadow," and we we provide some you know tips and tricks too with how to identify it because I think that could be sometimes the trickiest part is not only identifying it but being comfortable enough with being uncomfortable to identify it because it's often those things that we don't want to admit is within ourselves, and then of course. Being willing to sit with it, even though you don't like it, and working through that process. And it's, it's such a beautiful experimentation, almost, with the self. And to feel that wholeness creating from it is just so rewarding.
1: Absolutely. That's beautiful. And I love that you're writing a chapter on the shadow. I feel it's such an important thing that people, you know, very rarely recognize the power of. And it's true. It's when you start to own your shadow, you liberate all of this energy that may have been dormant or lightened. And then your life starts to like, you know, pick up its pace a bit.
2: Mm -hmm. Couldn't have said it better myself.
1: So...
0: Now, since this is the end of the interview, which we're kind of sad about here, um, (laughs) where can our listeners find you if they want to learn more about Anna and what you're doing and all the great stuff that you're up to?
1: Sure, sure. So um, they can learn more about my book, myself, and my practice at my website, which is www.annayusome.com. And that's the. A-N-N-A, Y as in yoga, U, S as in Sam, I, M as in Mary, dot com, and my book, Fulfilled How the Science of Spirituality Can Help You Live a Happier, More Meaningful Life, is available on my website, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at any other bookseller.
2: Don't miss out on buying that book, too. It's a wonderful resource. And I've already recommended it to plenty of people to check out. And she puts in lovely exercises that will guide you through step-by-step. And it's just incredible. So don't miss out on
1: that, listeners. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sarah and Christopher.
2: Well, thank you so much, Dr. Youson, for coming on to this show. We've really valued your time. And I believe our listeners will find this a juicy one
1: full of of good information really
0: really enjoyed this you're such a sweet person thank you
1: thank you both so much for having me
0: we want to thank anna so much for joining us and taking time out of her busy schedule to come on the soul and wonder podcast she's
2: such a lovely woman i want to hang out with her
0: she sure is so she kind of did the work for us we were going to talk about the shadow self in our health tip of the episode but she covered it Anna covered it. So thank you so much for that, Anna.
2: And if you're interested in deepening your shadow work, that's one of the main topics I cover with my clients in my Fulfillment Life coaching. As I'd mentioned before, you can sign up for a free session with me to dip your toes in the coaching water to see if it's something that you like doing. So shadow work, values emotional intelligence, all kinds of juicy stuff that we need to work on within ourselves to become the best version of ourselves. All of that is just up ahead on the path in front of you if you're willing and ready to sign up for a free session.
0: Yes, and we do, as always, have some more podcast episodes coming up. So we have some great guests lined up, and we can't wait to share them with you.
2: Yes, and remember, if you like what you're hearing, give us a like, give us a share, Show us to your family and friends. We'll absolutely appreciate that.
0: Yes. Until next time, have a good one.